off today. Speaking of the Hero World Challenge, the annual December tournament hosted by Tiger Woods gets underway tomorrow, 1.30 p.m. Eastern time right here on Golf Channel. Features an all-star field, by the way, 20 of the top players in the world. Some of those players, you got Cam Young and Tom Kim, debutantes this week, Victor Hovland, defending champ, Sepp Straka replacing Tiger Woods in the field, Scotty Scheffler, runner-up last year, John Rahm, the 2018 champ, has won two of his last four starts. He's a dangerous, dangerous man. Speaking of dangerous, for more from the Bahamas, welcome in Todd Lewis. T. Lou, you spoke to some of the players. What have you learned? Well, I've learned that you're going to go low here on this golf course considering all the rain that we got just today. We've had an inch and a half of rain this morning. This is why the Gore-Tex is on right now. We have been wearing it out, but right now the Sun is out, but showers are expected more in the afternoon. But you talked about John Rahm, the highest-ranked player in the field here, a former champion of this tournament. And as you mentioned, he has played well as of late. Since the Tour Championship on the PGA Tour, he's played only on the DP World Tour. He's had four starts. He has yet to finish outside the top five, winning two of those starts, one being the Spanish Open in his home country and the other being the DP World Tour Championship, which was his last start. I caught up with Johnny between the raindrops today, and I asked him what kind of belief he brings to this tournament here this week. I mean, I feel confident. Obviously, I've had a, I've had a really good fall. Um, you know, come to a golf course in a tournament that I like. I've had success in the past, and I know you got to take it deep. So, um, hoping uh, everything is is firing like it's been the last few the last few months. Yeah. Do you enjoy uh, playing a tournament where? The golf course is receptive and you have to cart a lot of birdies. I've had a lot of fun playing here when it's firm and fast. Uh, this is going to be a little lift different, right? With the hurricane, especially the rain we've had this morning and last night, uh, it might be a lower score than I'm used to seeing here. So, yeah, but I, I still enjoy it, obviously. Um, I'd rather get a test of golf that's a little bit more difficult, but a week like this where you only have, what, 18, 20 players, uh, it's a little bit more relaxed. Um, you know, having a, a golf course where you're going to have to shoot very, very low, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. Mm. I know you've had some great stuff happen this year off the golf course, mm -hmm. but on the golf course, as you reflect back on 2022, what are your biggest takeaways? Uh, you know, I've had a good year. Ball striking was great. Putting got really good towards the end of the year. I wish it would have been a little bit better earlier. Um, but it was a year of uh, a lot of growth, I would say. learned a lot about my game. And... Still was a good year. I just wish I would have had a better show in the majors. Had I had a chance to to be in contention on Sunday in more than just one of them, would have probably made it a, a much better year. But still, you know, if we take that out of the equation, it's been really good. Played good on the playoffs, played good throughout the year, and had a really good fall, right? So overall, it's, it's very, very successful. So John Rahm has plenty of confidence heading into the Hero World Challenge. Victor Hovland, the defending champion, may be searching for some. He has been yeah, kind of average in his own words over the last few months, which is surprising because a year ago, Victor was playing beautifully. He won this tournament, which helped him springboard into success early in the year in 2022, especially on the DP World Tour. But now that's not the case. I asked him if he'd like to repeat the scenario from last year, win here, at least have a good showing, and turn the page to 2023 with a little more belief. Yeah, I think it was great. Um, obviously winning Mayakoba not too long before this week and and uh, kept playing great and, and uh, won this event in maybe a little different fashion than I did at Mayakoba. But it was 
certainly nice to take a little break after uh, winning two tournaments in a row. We talked um, a few weeks ago about you getting close to back to where your game is. Give us an update on where you think you are right now. Yeah, it's, I wouldn't say searching, but it's, uh, I don't, still don't feel like my ball striking is where it should be. Um, you know, we kind of, that's how this game of golf is. It goes up and down. Uh, still trying to work on it, kind of getting back to, to what made me great and what made me hit the ball great. Um, I feel like the putting in the short game is, is in a good spot, so I just kind of need to find some consistency. Walk us through when you're trying to find that spot again. A, is it, how do you manage frustrations? And B, expectations. Yeah, I mean, it's frustrating when you, you feel a certain shot and then the ball is not doing what you feel like it's doing. You know, not it's not like the ball is going out of bounds or snipe hooking or stuff, but it's like you have to when you want to play at a certain level you have to be pretty precise and if you see that two yard fade and let's say draws two yards you know that doesn't create that much confidence and for me it's it's all about just seeing the shots that i want to hit and yeah i might hit a couple of bad ones but it doesn't bother me as much when i know i have the shots that i want to hit so um yeah it's just trying to dial it back in so what happened with victor's game well he naturally hits a fade. That's his stock shot. But he tried to incorporate a draw into his swing this year. And by doing so, well, his fade wasn't quite there as consistently as it has been in the past. So ultimately, the biggest thing uh, that a player needs on the PGA Tour, confidence took a dent. And guys, I, I mean, you've been up and down the range here. You've seen these guys when they're warming up. Pretty much every one of them hit it in the center of the golf club. But confidence is the biggest thing that they need to carry it into competition, and that's what Victor Hovland is searching for right now. Well, thank you, Todd Lewis, a man who appears to be dressed for Irish weather while working in the Bahamas. Yeah. <laughs> well, coming up next, the captain is in the house. Mike Weir, the newly named skipper of the International President's Cup team, will join us to talk about his plan to turn the tide. We'll be right back. Ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to Golf Today. Let's flash back to September in the President's Cup at Quail Hollow Club. The U.S. team took the win by a margin of 17.5 to 12.5, despite a valiant effort by the international team. With the victory, the U.S. remains undefeated on American soil and improves to a 12-1-1 overall record in the biennial competition. 
the 2024 President's Cup will head to Royal Montreal Golf Club in Quebec, Canada. And there's news today regarding the international team. Mike Weir has been named the captain. Close look at his bio. Eight-time winner on the PGA Tour, including that 2003 Masters over Len Matisse in the playoff. Five-time International President's Cup team member. 13-9-2 overall record. 3-1-1, by the way, in President's Cup singles, including a win over peak Tiger Woods and a three-time International President's Cup assistant captain, including at Quail Hollow, and Mike Weir joins us now. Congrats, Captain. Not a surprise appointment, but it's never really official until it is, Mike. Why is this role something you wanted to do? Well, it's been a huge part of my career, the President's Cup. Um, I think back, you know, 22 years ago, my very first President's Cup, and I didn't know what to expect, and then making that team. And after making that team, I said to myself, I never want to not be part of this. It was, it was so exciting growing up playing team sports, playing hockey, um, being part of a team is, is something I've always loved about sports and playing an individual sport to have this chance to play on a team. Um, I just loved and uh, now being this role at my age to uh, to be captaining the team is, is very exciting and uh, you know I'm up for the challenge. Well, let's dig in because it has been a challenge. Quill Hollow was fun to watch, but it's been one sided. Your predecessor, Trevor Immelman, said it'd be disrespectful to change the competition, add women, for example, even if the results have been one-sided. How much are you in agreement with Trevor that it's up to you and your team to build on what Ernie and Trevor have built? Yeah, 100% in agreement. You know, I think um, it's continuing to grow. Our international teams pull from, you know, over 6 billion people around the world. So, you know, it's going to continue to grow the way golf is going. There's a lot of turnover. Obviously, we had eight new players on the team. Um, and, you know, I think going forward for 24, there's going to be exciting new members on the team with some with some guys that have some veteran experience. And, you know, I think we're going to show up and, and continue to, to get better um, and evolve. Um, and I think that's that's what we're looking for in 2024 is to your point, Damon, is to build on uh, what the captains in the past have done and, uh, and keep expanding and evolving. And I think um, we'll, we'll do more than uh, just give them a good go. I think it's going to be a great match. Mike, you're going to be the captain at Royal Montreal. And 15 years ago, Gary Player made you a captain's pick that year when you were 20th mm -hmm. in the standings. But you came in there, you won three and a half points out of five. You beat Tiger in singles. And a few weeks later, you won on the PGA Tour for the first time in three years. What did that mm -hmm. experience at the President's Cup do for your confidence outside of the President's Cup? Yeah, it did a lot, Eamon. Um, you know, I wanted to uh, to prove Gary right. I had a lot of motivation going in 2007. I wasn't playing particularly well. Um, and I, you know, that gave me a big boost of confidence that Gary uh, believed in me. He knew what was maybe not showing up on the golf course at that time, but was inside my heart. And uh, he knew it was very important to me. And, and I wanted to prove him right, that he, that he made the right choice. And I was proud of the way I played that week. Uh, I said our press conference, even though it was a, a great day Sunday for me and the week was was great, but it was still disappointing that our team didn't didn't perform. We didn't win. Um, but yeah, we we've all of us captains have talked to our guys about the confidence that you can gain from a President's Cup. Yeah, uh, you know, every year on both sides, the international team and US, you see guys that come out of Ryder Cups or President's Cups and the great play they have right after winning tournaments and, uh, you know, boosting their career because you're, you know, the, the intensity is so heightened every day and every match that uh, it just prepares you well for tournament golf and uh, prepares you well for major championships and, and the like. So, you know, for me, uh, right after right after 2007, yeah, I hadn't, hadn't been playing very well. I gained a lot of confidence that week. And sure enough, you know, a couple of weeks later, I, I get another win. So um, a, lot, a lot can happen in a President's Cup week that can, uh, 
you know, boost a player's career. Are you conscious of that power you now have as captain that a pick could bring the best out of a struggling player? Because from a distance, it would seem like a tricky decision. Do you go with your gut instinct yeah. thinking that you could get the best out of somebody, even if statistics on paper tell you that it's maybe not the greatest choice? Yeah, that's that's a, that's a great uh, question, Eamon. And it's something that I have to really you know think about. You know, it's not just all about statistics. And of course, we use that. Um, and the guys that I choose down the road as my assistants will be talking uh, quite a bit about that. And on uh, you know what we feel is not only showing up on uh, on the scorecards in, in the previous tournaments uh, leading up to the Presidents Cup, but what we feel is inside their hearts and their minds, and um, how bad they want to be part of this team. And um, you know. I was talking earlier with the South American reporter about Sebastian Munoz. You know, he just played with so much heart there and so much fire. You know, that's that's kind of what we, we love. And uh, so we'll be looking for those guys, uh, some of those diamonds in the rough. Mike, uh, Bobby Knight at Indiana ruled by Iron Fist. Pete Carroll, the Seahawks, is a bit of a hugger. What kind of captain <laughs> will you be? <laughs> probably, probably somewhere in between, I would think. I mean, this is new to me, you know, uh, you know. We're used to chasing the ball around and, and playing ourselves. We're not used to captaining. So it's, you know, look, it's learning on the fly. It's going to be talking to a lot of people, leaning on my assistants, um, you know, talk, probably talking to various coaches from different sports. So I'd, I'd love to, you know, pick their brains a little bit. I spent a little time with uh, Martin St. Louis, the captain of the Montreal Canadiens, um, here yesterday. And just even those little conversations are, are interesting and, and, and uh, intrigue my mind, uh, listening to how they, they go about coaching these, these young men and, um, so, yeah, I'll be using all the resources available to uh, do the best job I can. We heard a lot from Trevor Immelman at Quail Hollow about the idea of building continuity from one captain to the mm. next. Mike, are we going to see that game plan continue from you and including any potential vice captains? You obviously were one of Trevor, Trevor's backroom team. Will we see some faces from Quail Hollow be part of your team as well? Yeah, likely. I think it's, you know, it's very important to keep uh, the continuity and guys that are going to be in this role going forward so they can learn, see the behind the scenes and, and the work that's done to, uh, you know, take the, the take the team into the next two years. So, yeah, I think it just makes sense to, to keep that going. It's it's important. It's been important for me to be behind the scenes a little bit and watch the last three years on uh, on what's Trevor and, and Carmenita, quite, Carmenita, quite frankly, on uh, the wives have a huge important role and significant others. So all of that uh, entailed is important for the next captain going forward to to see what's, uh, you know, what can be what was done right and what we can kind of build on and, and, and take forward. For a kid who grew up in Ontario, this has to be a big day and moment for you. We know stardom in the U.S., celebrities hiding out from the paparazzi, wearing mustaches. I'm just curious, <laughs> at the height of Mike Weir's celebrity in that first decade of 2000, could you go to a restaurant in Ontario with no issues, or, or did it get a little crazy when you were dropping the puck wearing that green jacket? Yeah, no, it wasn't. It wasn't no issues. It was. It was quite something. Uh, it was. A, it was a time that um, you know, growing up where I did, I, I'm generally quite shy person, um, and yeah, it was overwhelming at times, no, no doubt about that. But uh, you know, the fans have always been so wonderful to me here, and and they just they just want to say hi and and uh, and welcome me and congratulate me during during those times, and uh, you know. It was a very exciting time, uh, very busy time sometimes. But, um, you know, even coming up here yesterday to the Bell Center, the fans were incredible. Um, just walking around the, the concourse, people wanted to take pictures and saying hi. And um, it's, it's really special being being Canadian and, and doing well in, in any sport. Um, 
is really something special. A bit more than probably the United States, because um, coming from um, Canada, it's a little bit different. Mike, you're almost two years away now from actually being the captain at the President's Cup. Trevor Immelman found out the hard way that a year is a very long time in this game with the number of players that he lost. Do you have any fear that over the next couple of years that your options in terms of players are going to narrow? Or are you expecting a whole new crop of guys to be viable candidates by then? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. I think, you know, sure, Trevor uh, was up against it, you know, with uh, um, the last, uh, what, what, what's gone on in golf in the last year and a half. Um, but the guys that were on our team were very motivated and, and uh, proved that they're worthy of being there. Um, yeah, time will tell. We'll see what happens in the next couple of years. Um, you know, players on, on the live tour, if, if they, uh, if things change, um, we'll see. Um, but, you know, I think the guys, and, and I said earlier, you know, there's so much turnover in the game so quickly now. We didn't know who Tom Kim was uh, in the summer of 2022, and look where he is now, just in a few short months. So I suspect more and more of that will happen and, uh, given the, the next two years that uh, some players will emerge that we didn't even know that could be uh, uh, could be world beaters. So uh, hopefully they're uh, on the international side, that uh, those guys that emerge. Mike, I imagine the little kid inside is jumping up and down. Congratulations on this remarkable appointment and achievement for you. Best of luck. We know you do a bang-up job, and we'll speak to you soon. I appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. All right. The captain of the international team for 2024 is Mike Weir. Now, back to the golf taking place this week. The Hero World Challenge begins tomorrow at 1.30 p.m. Eastern time right here on Golf Channel. This is not an official PGA Tour event. Players do not earn official money or FedEx Cup points but do receive world ranking points. With more, it's time for news and notes. Let's welcome in Rex Hoggard, senior writer for GolfChannel.com in the Bahamas. Rex, you've been doing some digging, and it sounds like there was a meeting last night among the players. What can you tell us and what was talked about? Yeah, Damon, another meeting. We have a lot of those lately, it seems like. I spoke with a source familiar with the meeting. It happened last night. It was here on property at Albany. It lasted about two hours, I was told. And I was told that all 20 players who are in the field here at the Hero World Challenge attended, along with Tiger Woods, who is the host this week. Now, Rory McIlroy, who has become the de facto spokesperson for the PGA Tour when it comes to all things live golf, he joined the meeting via Zoom, as did PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan. And I was told it was essentially just a continuation of the conversation that started a few months ago in Wilmington, Delaware, when Tiger and Rory got all of the game's top players together and tried to come up with some sort of response to live golf. Now, I specifically asked Tiger Woods yesterday what his message is in these meetings. What is he telling players? And he really touches on some familiar bullet points here. He talked about playing opportunities for younger players. He talked about legacy, being able to play the major championships. And he also talked about the idea of the top players being rewarded more. Again, these are all things we've heard before, Damon, but it certainly hits differently when it comes from a 15-time major champion. No question about it, Rex. I understand you published a column today on GolfChannel.com detailing a tentative live schedule. What stands out to you? Well, we talked about this earlier in the week. It looks like that February is when Lyft's schedule is going to start next year in 2023. They're going to start at Mayakoba, longtime PGA Tour stop that seems to be converting to Live Golf. Now, it's not the only venue that seems to have a tour pedigree that's going to Live Golf. Right after that stop in Mexico, it looks like they're going to the gallery, which is at Dove Mountain in Tucson. That hosted the WGC match play twice. After that, they're going to Valderrama in Spain. Again, another WGC venue that also hosted 
a Ryder Cup. And then the Greenbrier is on the schedule in August, another longtime PGA Tour venue. So you get an idea of what Liv is trying to do with their schedule. And I thought the most interesting thing about this tentative schedule that I saw was that of those 14 events, just one is played opposite either a major a playoff event or one of the tour's elevated events. That's going to happen late in the year when Live Golf visits Bedminster in New Jersey. Again, that's scheduled right now to be held the same week as the FedEx St. Jude Championship, which is the first playoff event. So you kind of get the idea of the first conflict between the two circuits. Rex Hagel reporting from a cloudy Bahamas on this Wednesday. Eamon Lynch, your thoughts? Another <laughs> PJ Tour player meeting. It sounds like the players are doing everything they can to stay on top of this situation to make sure everybody's rowing in the same direction. Um, it's always interesting when these meetings happen because I think there's an assumption that every issue has been resolved, that the mm. schedule of elevated events has been put out there and that everything's hunky-dory in PGA Tour World. And I don't think that's the case at all. I think there's a lot that has to fall into place on both sides here because it's always going to be a tough balancing act because it is a member-led organisation. Right. And Jay Monaghan doesn't answer only to... Rory McIlroy or to Tiger Woods or to John Ram, there are hundreds of members and it's going to be interesting because it's an organization that's driven by those guys at the top. So there's a balancing act that has to happen there and I suspect that's what all of these meetings mm. are about. And it could get, still get contentious at some point even within the PGA mm. Tour. Nothing is going to be worked out particularly easily on this because there always are competing constituencies even on the same side. That's a great point you make. And now we're seeing this tentative live schedule released for 2023, including events that will be held the week before major championships. Eamon, I'm trying to wrap my mind about, about the possibility of seeing a some live golfers competing in Florida the week before the Masters with all that pyrotechnics and noise and then somehow sashaying their way down Magnolia Lane the, the, the next week. Do you see a scenario where that's exactly what's going to happen no matter what uh, the scenario, uh, the situation with the lawsuits that we're going to have a situation where these players will be able to go from one event and live right to the first major championship of the year. Yeah, that would be a jarring move from the theatrics of a live event to this kind of cathedral of quiet at Augusta National. I was struck by what Rex talked about in the schedule and what he's written in his story, that there are 14 live events scheduled for next mm. year. And we've heard all of this talk about the idea of growing the game. 10 of the 14 are in North America, one in Mexico, nine in the United States. So they're striking out to grow the game in underserved areas like Arizona mm. and Florida. And guys who said they wanted to spend a lot more time at home, well, they're going to end up going to Spain and to Singapore and to Australia and to London as well. So they're going to rack up some miles along the way. But a lot of it still just depends on what the broadcast deal mm. turns out to be, if Liv can actually secure one. And I think that's why they're aiming for so many events in North America, is the idea of this is where the audience exists. For, for golf on a large-scale viewing mm. uh, proposition. But this idea that it's a global tour or that it's a grow-the-game tour, it's kind of led bare as not quite being either one of those things in terms of the schedule anyway. Live Golf colored the captaincy for Trevor Immelman in some of his decision-making. It really kind of hurt, obviously, his team with losing some of the players that might have been on that team, none greater than Cameron Smith. Do you think that there's a possibility that it will be just as noisy for Mike Weir over these next couple of years, or do you think it'll be a different kind of set of, of questions that he'll have to answer in a couple of years' time? It's a different kind of noisy, I think. I mean, the, the fact that Liv launched mid-season a few months before Trevor Immelman's captaincy, mm. that really caught 
Trevor Immelman unawares. So there were so many players, the Joaquin Neemans of the world, for example, that mm. he couldn't use because they had fled the PGA Tour at that point. I think two years away now from Mike Weir's captaincy almost, he's going to have a lot more lead time to deal with this, mm. to legislate his way around it. And who knows what the landscape of golf looks like two years ago. We'd be astonished six months ago <laughs> if you told us what it looks like right now. Yeah, no one has any idea what professional golf will look like in 2024. Folks, stay with us. An exciting event is taking place in Melbourne, Australia this week as the men's and women's ISPS Handa Australian Opens will be played on the same courses at the same time. Homecoming for reigning U.S. Women's Open champ Minji Lee, who headlines the field. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Golf Central Update, brought to you by Callaway Golf. We've officially tied a bow around the 2022 LPGA Tour season. Lydia Coe won the CME Race to the Globe as a result of her victory at the CME Group Tour Championship. Along with the title, Coe also took home a check for $2 million, the biggest winner's check in the history of women's golf. And a great year for Coe was capped by reaching the number one spot in the Rolex World Rankings again for the first time since 2017. In her entire career, Coe spent 105 weeks in the top spot, which is the fifth most all-time in the history of the Rolex Women's Rankings. Speaking of the World Rankings, Eamon, world number four, Minji Lee, is back home this week in Australia for the ISPS Hand Australian Open. Special homecoming for her. She took her U.S. Women's Open trophy for tour, took some great pictures, had a lot of fun. And this week is extremely unique in professional golf men's and women's event played on the same courses at the same time 3.4 million dollar purse is split equally between the men and women's event you see the notables in the field ryan fox what a year he has had the aforementioned cameron smith will be there as well marina alex ashley buhai jennifer cupcho major champ for more let's welcome in beth and nichols senior writer with golf week magazine let's start with this special week in australia featuring the men and the women what has caught your eye so far well, a couple of things. I think, you know, I always think it's wonderful when we can celebrate uh, equal purses and, and sharing the stage like we see in tennis. But unfortunately, with the timing of this event being after the LPGA season, no longer a co-sanctioned event with the LPGA or, or the LET, uh, you know, a, a lot of players didn't make the trip down under. And so because the, to preserve the integrity of the field, it was originally supposed to be 144 players for both the men and the women. But the women's field has since been reduced to 108, and the men's has been enlarged to 156. The purse remains the same. But it, it, it really is unfortunate because the, when you consider the great history of this event, the wonderful courses that they're playing in the sand belt, 
And, and, and yet, because of the timing, again, it's, it's overlapping the start of, of Q Series as well in the LPGA. It's right after the finale on the Ladies European Tour and leading into their qualifying school. It's just such a tough time for, for, for young players and then also for, for veteran players who want to shut it down and preserve what, what little offseason they have before starting the, the Tournament of Champions. Bethan, you published a story on Golf Week about somebody who is playing in Australia who might prefer to be playing at the LPGA Q Series, Gabby Ruffles. Tell us what happened with her. Oh, it's such, such a sad story. You know, she's not the first player to miss the, the registration deadline for Q Series, but it just, I remember this happened to Mel Reed one time too, but it, it really just breaks your heart when it, when it happens because it essentially is like a year-long sentence unless you do something heroic to play your way onto the LPGA. But, but so, so Gabby Ruffles said she was actually driving up to Mobile, Alabama for, on a scouting trip in early November, 10 minutes away from the golf course. The thought crossed her mind. Have I registered for Q School? What, what do I need to do here? And so she looks on the player portal, uh, just as I said, right outside the gates, basically, and re realizes that she's missed the deadline by basically a month. And so, unfortunately, there was no recourse. She'll be heading after this week. She'll be going to Ladies European Tour School to try to get a few more options. She finished 15th on the Epson Tour money list, so she has full status there. Uh, but, you know, she missed qualifying for Q Series by a single stroke last year. And so to not be able to compete this year based on paperwork is just brutal. The silver lining to all of this is that she is competing on her home cl club, Victoria Golf Club, uh, staying in the same neighborhood where, where she grew up and visiting a lot of her old haunts. So it, it is nice to be back home in Australia, but but wish it was under different circumstances, I'm sure. No doubt. Talent finds a way. You have to eventually she'll be on the LPGA Tour. I asked this question, Bethann, with great trepidation. You spoke to Lydia Coe's sister, I understand, after she won the CME Group Tour Championship, uh, who has some comments on how long she thinks Lydia might continue to play on the LPGA Tour. What did you learn? Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a hot-button topic because Lydia, as we know, is only two points away now from qualifying for the World Golf Hall of, or the LPGA Hall of Fame, excuse me. And, and she obviously has stated many times that she won't play past the age of 30, and she's getting married soon, later this in, in December. So a lot of question marks surrounding this comeback. And, and Sura, who also doubles as her manager, <laughs> said that, you know, Lydia really looks to the 2024 Olympics in Paris as, as, as a key moment. She, she really wants to play there. If she were to get her two Hall of Fame points, which if she were to win a major championship, she would, she would get to 27. Uh, she, would, she would likely hang on and, and play in the Olympics and then reevaluate after then, uh, perhaps moving on to the next chapter of life. She's looking into interior decorating. She loves watching those <laughs> uh, remodel homes on television and, and just has, as she said, has talked quite a bit about what she might like to do next, already thinking ahead. So, uh, you know, I think Lydia has said, she said just at, at CME that she won't hang around just to get that last Hall of Fame point if she She's ready to go. But now that she's so close, I would be really surprised if we saw Lydia Ko uh, make it to age 30 on the LPGA. Uh, you know, she's only 25 years old. And, and, and I think 2024, we might, we might only see her compete a few more years. That would be a shockingly early departure from the game. But then again, Lorena Ochoa pretty much set the bar for that one, Bethan. She did. You, you published a story a couple of weeks ago during the CME Group Championship about how the CEO of CME, Terry Duffy, 
had been disappointed that LPGA players did not show up at a corporate dinner during the tournament. And he was quite critical in your article of Molly Marcusaman, the commissioner of the LPGA Tour. Has there been any fallout from that? Or what can you tell us about how that landscape lies right now? Well, you know, I can say that I was kind of shocked by some of the player reaction uh, on, on social media and the like um, in, in the aftermath, uh, given the fact that uh, it seemed to me like they were throwing the sponsor under the bus a little bit. I think there was a lot of point missing going on here. It, it shouldn't matter that Serena Williams was scheduled to speak at that dinner and that that perhaps might have been the reason some players decided not to go. That's not the point. The point of players being there was not to hear Serena Williams. It was to, it was to be there for Terry Duffy and his clients. And so, you know, I think that there was a massive breakdown in communication all the way around. Uh, you know, I think I think some players obviously should have communicated uh, whether or not they were they were going to attend if they had changed their mind. I think maybe there should have been a, a, a better education as to what they were signing up for and the importance of it. And then then I think this could have been diffused a lot quicker had had leadership uh, been more um, proactive in apologizing and and not taking as long in and getting that across that, that this will not happen again. And, and we understand how important it is. So I just think there it was just kind of a, a domino of, of, of mistakes and uh, and and I hope that it's a it's a it's something that players you know really take seriously because I I think it was an important story to tell because Terry Duffy writes a very big check for the LPGA. He was very upset. I spoke with him on a Thursday, came back to him again on a Saturday, still felt the same. You know, hadn't hadn't really really changed at all in, in his his level of of frustration and concern, and uh, and was laying it all at the feet of of leadership. So. Uh, you know, it will be interesting to see uh, if there's any continued fallout from this uh, as, as we go down the road. But I, I think it's an important time to revisit what Mike Wan, you know, preached in the beginning of his tenure of understanding why each particular sponsor is writing a check each week, because their needs, their, their reasons behind doing it uh, vary week to week. The tough look at the season ender, which is so often a celebration, but hopefully those communication lines will be open going forward. Beth Ann, thank you so much for time on this Wednesday. We'll speak to you down the road. Thank you. Folks, today is St. Andrew's Day. Back in 2007, St. Andrew's Day was officially recognized as a bank holiday in Scotland for the first time. On St. Andrew's Day, the Royal and Ancient Golf opens the ground floor of its clubhouse to the public, Amen. And, you know, through the years, we've seen these incredible videos of folks walking their dogs. Sunday, a neat tradition. No golf is played. All are welcomed to use the land. Four-legged friends, you know, couples walking there chasing the, the, the sunset. It's a, it's a mood. It's a feeling. It really is. And it reminds you that there are some places in the world where great golf courses build a wall around them. And mm. St. Andrews, there's no wall. It's essentially a public park whenever... People are there, but uh, we've both spent a fair bit of time there over the years. I took this photograph back in 2015, looking down the first and 18th fairway from the roof of Hamilton Grand. Mm. Here's Tom Watson teeing off on the first during the Senior Open back in 2018. This one was on my birthday a few years ago. It was a particularly low moment when I'm hitting irons off the 18th tee. I was with Brandel Chambly and offering him uh, 
kind of a more intimate look at my club selection. That's <laughs> the closest brand I'll ever got to greatness right there with the old Tom Morris and young Tom Morris grave. Oh. After a well-lubricated dinner, we climbed the wall of the cemetery in the wee small hours. This one here I took this summer. You can see on the right side of the green, Tiger Woods is putting out for what we thought might be the last time at St. Andrews. But if you look over the open sign on the left, there's an old lady hanging out the window watching Tiger Woods. That is Sheila Walker, mm. the last surviving relative of old Tom Morris watching Tiger Woods putting out on the 18th green. Oh, amazing. The, the stories that could be told and have been told about St. Andrews. I went for the first time in 2000. I was an NBA rider. The Lakers beat the Pacers. I was looking for something else to do. Then 18 years later, I got to play the old course for the first time. That's Sean Zock of Golf.com. I striped the drive down one safely. Thank goodness. Uh, nearly hit a ball on 17 into somebody's lobster bisque uh, on the roof of the Old Course Hotel. But uh, live to tell about it. So many great memories and stories of the Old Course.